Welcome to Home Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didier. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didier team. Let's jump in. What's up, everybody? Hello, this is Tom Didier, your host, and welcome to the Home Selling Hero. Once again, we are into episode number two. Pretty excited to be here. Got another team member with me today. Last uh, podcast, I had Andrew Nagel, one of my team members, and today I've got Josh Peeringer, um, one of my team members who has been with me for seven years now, right, Josh? Yep, yep. And prior to that, Josh was in the photography industry. I stole him away from that uh, industry. Ironically, Josh and I have known each other literally since we were little kids playing basketball against each other. I'll let you figure out who was better, obviously. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, this is going to be good. So Josh and I are today going to talk about multiple offers. And the reason we're talking about that today is because we are recording this in late April of 2022. Uh, The market is insane. I'll let Josh chime in on what terms he wants to use, but... We're at a weird time right now that we've never seen before. Um, We've been saying the real estate market right out there right now is like the Hunger Games version of real estate. It's it is cutthroat. It is competitive. People are going nuts. I mean, buyers feel like they are in a nuclear arms race with each other and they are spending everything they can to get a house. And I'm not going to say if it's good or bad. It just is what it is. And we are dealing with multiple offers on. I would say most listings. What would you say, Josh? What percentage would you say in the last six months do we receive multiple offers, would you say? It has to be a minimum of 95%. There's going to be a couple outliers out there that might be just a rough property of some sort. But in general, if you're in the wheelhouse of your national average of you know 275 to 500,000, multiple offers on anything. And what I find amazing is that every competitive price point is crazy. Like 200, 300, 400, 800, 900, over a million dollars is multiple showings with multiple buyers. And we've never seen that before. Never. So we've got multiple offers coming in on most of our listings. And so today's episode is going to be both for buyers and sellers and just to kind of maybe put to rest some of the misnomers out there about how multiple offer situations are dealt with and are supposed to be dealt with because there is no answer. Uh, every situation is different. But the first thing is you get this listing and there's tons of offers and buyers want to know who gets first priority. And the answer, of course, is nobody. Offers roll in every hour, every day. And a lot of buyers think that since they got their offer in first, they've got the best chance. Not necessarily the case. And that's going to come down to coaching from your agent on when is the right time to submit this offer. I know sometimes agents say, wait, keep me posted on how many offers you got, and we're going to submit ours once we're up to like five or ten. What would you, what would you say, Josh, on that? What, when, when is the right time? If you're a buyer and you know there's going to be a ton of offers, do you get your offer in right away or do you wait towards the end? I think the general concern of any buyer is they want naturally want to be first, and the hardest part of a buyer is not being able to control the seller's choice. So for them, they're between the buyer's agent, though, they can say, well, uh, it looks like they're going to hold off until Sunday and review all the offers. So like you said, sometimes the buyer's agent will sit back and say, hey, we got a little time here. Let's see how it's going. But in general, 
uh, there is usually a window of time, but first is never always the winner. But there are situations where an offer will come in with a very tight deadline that is an incredible offer. So a seller may want to take it. Yeah. But in general, there's usually a deadline involved. All right, so let's role play this. So you're the listing agent, Josh. You've got a new listing. You just listed it for three ninety nine, And I see in the MLS that you've got a note that says... Seller is collecting all offers and will review the offers on Sunday evening. Well, today is Thursday. I'm writing an offer tonight. I give you an offer tonight. Um, my buyer wants to know now, so I'm going to give you until, let's say, noon tomorrow. You're going to get this offer to your seller tonight, and I've got a binding acceptance date of noon. Now what happens? So in that situation with the sellers, uh, how much interest they have coming in is huge. And if there's talks of four or five or six offers coming in, do they want to risk not seeing those offers and take this offer? And that is a very long conversation that can happen. Because I was just in that situation last week where we had gave a deadline and they kept coming in, coming in, coming in. But the first offer that was presented was very good and they wanted to take it. And I said, let's not take it and see what happens. And it ended up being a better situation for them. Yeah, yeah. So in other words... There is no right answer. Every situation is no. different. Um, Every just, house is Again, different. trying to put – and one other thing I want to clear up is that buyers write an offer and they give a deadline of 48 hours. Sometimes buyers think that a seller has to respond to them within 48 hours. A seller does not have to respond to anyone ever on any offer. Uh, it's their choice. Um, some buyers think that if a seller missed the deadline of responding to their offer, there's really no such thing. The one thing a buyer can control is that the buyer gets to choose the deadline of how long their offer is valid for. So in this case, if I'm going to use a 48 hours, that just means that your offer is on the table for 48 hours. If the seller doesn't respond to it, well, then it's clearly not accepted. It's just it's it's expired. It's void, and you got to start over again. So um, the timing of how long to give a seller is key. And what do you think, Josh? What's what's the right what, what's the right thing to do from a buyer's point of view? How long should oh you give a seller in this mark in this crazy, insane market? How long should you give a seller to, to consider your offer? I will use this scenario: if you have a buyer that is cash, no contingencies, and are willing to go over asking, I would I would think that buyer would be advised to put a deadline to make sure that seller looks at it and maybe gets it accepted. That said, that's not always the case. So, I would say to a buyer, look. We will have to make it as attractive to that seller to accept this offer as possible. And if they're adhering to a deadline of saying, we're reviewing everything on Monday at 5 o'clock because we went up north for the weekend, there's no reason to write an offer to say, well, now let's give them until 3 o'clock on Saturday. Yeah. That situation said, being if you are a very strong buyer, I would have no reason trying to do a, car, a deadline, but I would call that listing agent first and say, hey, what is the true story on this deadline? Are they just out doing groceries or are they around to look at an offer? Because a seller has every right to accept an offer at any point. Yeah. And that's what's really hard for the buyers to gate. Super to frustrating on. for a buyer. And, and if you're a buyer, just know that if you're competing with offers that are literally cash, zero contingencies, that's very hard to compete with. The only way you're going to beat an offer with cash and no contingencies is to write a higher offer. Because when you, you've got an offer with no contingencies, it's a, it's, a, it's a check. I mean, it's supposed to be a check. Of course, there's all sorts of situations we can talk about. But it's supposed to be a check to the seller with there's no contingencies. And it's tough. We've got buyers out there that need that protection of an appraisal or, and or a financing contingency. And it's tough. There's no number 
that you can beat out a cash offer many times. So I say that loosely being that it's just very difficult to compete with an offer that's cash with no contingencies. And there's a lot of them out there. We are we are finding out that buyers have access to not just their cash, but there's parents' cash, there's grandparents' cash, there's 401ks they can access, there's retirement funds they can access. Um, they're using their line of credit. They're using every possibility they have to access cash to make an, uh, to make a, a cash offer. And the seller, of course, any seller wants a contingency-free offer. So if the seller's got an accepted offer and there's no contingencies and we've got proof that there's cash in the bank, it's supposed to be a done deal. And we're seeing a lot of those right now, very, very many of those. All right, moving on. What are we going to – so, Josh, let's talk about the multiple counter offer form. So explain to our listeners what a multiple counter offer form is. Sure. So if you're in a situation with a buyer, let's say – First, you're on the buyer side, and there's 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 12 buyers for a property. 12 offers come in. Now we flip over to the seller side. The seller's looking in front of them at 12 offers. Well, all 12 do not have all the same con- contingencies. They might be a higher one, might be a faster close date, no inspection. So there's a vastitude of difference of these offers. The seller can now take those offers and say, you know what, these four I love. Now these four, we're going to send a form out to the buyer. It's called a multi-counter. Now the buyer's gonna receive a counter on that, look at the term and say, okay, they're countering the offer. The buyer has to sign that offer, but ultimately now goes back to the seller to choose which one he wants. So it's an amazing situation for a seller in this market that now you can increase terms to your favor but then decide in the end which one. But what does happen in multiple counter situations that I'm almost every time faced with listings, three or four rise to the top, seven or eight go to the bottom. That's just the way it is, one rises up. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. So if you're the buyer in this situation and you receive a multiple counteroffer, that tells you that the seller has chosen to multiple counteroffer people, meaning that they are countering more than one person. You don't necessarily get to know if it's two or three or four or five. You just know that they're, they're multiple counteroffering at least two people. Now, keep in mind, you don't, there, there's still multiple options to the buyer. So the buyer gets this multiple counteroffer. His options are one, ignore it, reject it, walk away. Two, accept it. Keep in mind, even if a buyer accepts this multiple counter, it's still not a done deal because it's got to go back to the seller and they've got to kind of re-accept it. The third thing they could do is that a buyer can actually counter this multiple counter. So not uncommon for a buyer to get a multiple counter and say, whoa, okay, they're getting this much. If a buyer's super motivated, he might actually raise that price again. So if it's in fact price and a seller comes back with a multiple saying, I want this much, 
buyer can still have the opportunity to raise even again. And we're, we are seeing that. I'd say any time that a, a, a seller has a multiple counteroffer situation, they're typically in the driver's seat. Now, keep in mind, you can scare buyers off. Uh, it's a competitive market, and we've had plenty of buyers just shake their head and say, I'm not in, I'm not in this. I, I'm not competing. All right, so next, next, Josh, let's talk about the acceleration clause. Very common document we are seeing added to offers. Tell, tell the listeners briefly what an acceleration clause is and how it works. So a buyer would put in there to say, hey, seller, I'm willing to give you, and we'll use for whole numbers here, $300,000. But if multiple offers come in, for every one that comes in, I'm going to raise my price $1,000 or 2000 how it's written in the accelerator clause. So now the seller can gather these offers and say, okay, so buyer A is willing to go up to $1,000 per offer. Well, now I have seven offers. So now that's $7,000 more that this buyer is willing to pay for my house. Yeah, of course, the, the, the flip side to that is I've had sellers look at these acceleration clauses saying, okay, they're offering me 300, but now we've got an acceleration clause saying that they're really willing to pay up to 320. So why don't we just counter them at 320? And it's a valid point. And again, every transaction is different and every buyer and seller has different emotions. The idea of the acceleration clause from a buyer's point of view is they don't want to compete against themselves. They really want this house, but it just doesn't make sense for them to keep compete against themselves. So this is, this is a tool that could work uh, with a seller. And they say, listen, I, I think I'm giving you plenty at this price, but I will go higher if I have to. Again, I've seen it backfire a few times, but I've also seen it benefit both buyers and sellers. So I don't know, Josh, how many acceleration clauses are we seeing out there? I will say that probably, a, I would say last year we saw more of them, but in general, when we have listings and when we're talking to a seller, their eyes glaze over when I start telling them what they have to do to kick the escalator clauses into effect. Mm -hmm. So in general, the yeah. first thing they say was, well, why would they just not pay 310 then? And then what happens is if that offer rises with an escalator, typically as our listing agent, you have the best interest of the seller. That's what we're working for there is to yeah. say, well, let's just remove that and co-counter to this 310. And that I would say almost always will work because the buyer is willing to just remove it and then just give that price. Yeah, but keep them. It is a complicated form. We, we try and make yes. it sound simple. <laughs> And it's supposed to be somewhat simple, but it's a complicated forum with a lot of a lot of language to it. One thing to consider too is that realtors we can't disclose any terms about anybody's offer to anybody. So if the seller wants more money, they have to take the responsibility then to deliver this uh, term and condition, this other offer, directly to the buyer, which is super unusual. This whole acceleration clause is a product of the market we're in. Um, it puts realtors in an unusual spot because, like I said, we can't disclose terms and conditions, but buyers and sellers can. So it adds another um, mechanism to the transaction that, in my opinion, sometimes makes it more difficult for the seller. We've, I think you and I both talked, Josh, a lot, of, a lot of our sellers sometimes just say, I don't like the accelerator, let's just counter them to that high price and, and go from there. There's nothing standard. And here's something that'll blow your mind. Now we've got a clause being used out there called the deceleration clause. And we've seen this a few times now. It blows my mind. And this is when a buyer writes an offer for way over the asking price, generally speaking. And then they've got a clock attached to the offer that says, listen, my offer right now is $350,000. However, 
for every 12 hours that passes, we'll use 24 hours. For every 24 hours that passes, my offer goes down by 6,000 bucks. So they're using this, this form as incentive to the seller to act quickly. Like, hey, I'm, if you're asking 300, I'm gonna give you 50 grand over your asking price. But if you don't act quick, if I have to wait through the weekend, my price is all the way down to 325. So I haven't seen it work a ton. Uh, I saw it work once. There was nothing to counter. The seller was thrilled, and they just jumped on it, and we accepted it very quickly. But it's uh, have you seen any deceleration clauses come through, Josh? It's not as re- it's not as common as the accelerate clause because I think it's a pretty aggressive move. Basically, they're really saying I'm going to pay top dollar, and you better jump right now. Sometimes buyers in this unfortunate market, depending on their economic situation, with buyers are putting everything together, they're. They don't have that ability to, they feel like they got to start here, but to go way up and say, now go backwards, they just feel like it's a little risky. And I do not see very few of them. Very few. Like I saw one last year in my situ- in the situation with the listing. So what is working? What's, what's, what's the pulse of the market for, for buyers and sellers right now? What, are we, what do they need to do to get a deal together? I mean, we get, we've got the lowest inventory ever. That's, that's a national problem. So what does it take to get an offer accepted right now? Well, I think you touched on it that it is kind of a, a, you know, it's a battle out there and it's tough. And so is the buyer willing to basically stomach not having, say, an inspection, which is a huge risk to a buyer to say, I'm going to buy this property and not have an inspection. And then five, you know, a week later, then decide to have an inspection after they close and find a bunch of problems. But that you're seeing more and more of that. If you even talk to house inspectors, their, their, their volume of bookings are way down, like, half. So that's a tough thing. And and financially, you only have so much money. So if you're a buyer at a certain amount, that, that's it. That's where you got to come in at. So it's very, very frustrating for buyers. I think the sub 300,000 market in Ozaki County is very difficult to find a house and very difficult when they come on. It's yeah, a beating you say frenzy. It's frustrating for buyers. It, it it's sucks frust- for yeah. home inspectors. I mean, it's, it puts us in a tough position because these are our, our friends and colleagues that we've been used to doing business with together they're helping us put deals together and protect people's interests and find what needs to be found and you know they're sitting on the sidelines (laughs) calling us going what's going on and the reality is the buyers that are getting accepted offers many times do not have a home inspection and we're you're never going to get i don't think a good realtor would ever say it's a great idea to not do an inspection oh of course not. now it might be a good idea if you want your offer accepted more than anything it could be reasonable to say that's what it's going to take. But uh, there's just there's just no good reason to not have a home inspection. Uh, unless, you you're, unless you're a home inspector, you got, you're a contractor, you've got some information yourself that, that gives you a real good level of confidence. Well, I will say the one thing that's interesting, uh, what we see now with the market of the industry of people moving and relocating and shifting south and taking job opportunities, you're seeing people that bought a property that moved in, say, a year or two years ago, and they get a job transfer, and now they're willing to share the inspection report, which to the new buyer can be a huge advantage to say, okay, I am willing to now write an offer without that. And I'm seeing a little more of that being shared uh, than normal. But uh, when working with a buyer, you kind of start off with the like, here's what you're probably going to have to do. And you have to work backwards, backwards to say, what are you accepting to do? Sellers and uh, save an, or share an inspection. So Josh, should a seller share a copy of a home inspection report that they have had previously on their home? What I would say on the sharing portion, though, is share it probably with people that are serious about writing an offer. 
Um, I don't know if you want to leave it sitting out on a countertop for every single person to go through page by page because sometimes they're an overwhelming report of uh, lots of little things, but most people are looking for major things. So I find the 10 that sharing it, if a person's going to draft an offer, say, hey, yeah. you know, can we look at that report? Are they willing to share it? And if they are, I think it's just a great, I think it's worth it. I think it helps in the end because then you can face up an offer. Yeah. And we've generally found that if sellers, sellers can't share too little. I mean, we've always told the sellers, like, just share everything. I mean, there's, trust me, you don't want to be getting that letter from an attorney a month or a year after closing. So the advice we always give our sellers is disclose every single little thing, even if it doesn't come close to reaching the definition of a defect, even if there's something quirky about, you know, that door squeaks. I mean, just put it on there. Buyers, it gives buyers a level of confidence that they know what they're getting into. So for the most part, I would say, you know, sharing that information is always a good idea. All right, what's up next? Um, Josh, let's talk about let's talk about what terms and conditions we want to see when we're representing our sellers. What kind of terms and conditions do you want to see in this market? Yeah, other than the, like we talked about, you know, cash, contingency free, but if it's going to be a conventional type, uh, typical offer, what kind of terms do you want to see in there or not see in there if you're representing your seller? Well, I think that the one of the bigger things is I think as a seller, when you're looking at those offers, is you do want to look at the strength of the buyer's financial standings. If you have a buyer can only put a very little amount down, um, I'm not sure that you're going to be excited about that offer. But I, I, I will say that we are seeing a lot of, I, it depends on the situation, but we are seeing a lot of post-occupancy that is uh, in offers for the advantage of the seller. For advantage, I'm going to be moving in a month, but I can't close in two months. I'd like to live in my house for the next 30 days. So we're seeing a large amount of post-occupancy where it's free. For free. Yeah, it's free. It used to always, it used to always be that the buyer would pay, you know, we'd figure out what the mortgage cost yep. was and everything else, and we just passed that along. Now, yeah, in this market, the sellers are saying, here's my closing date. So that's the date I get my cash. And then they say, here's the date I'm moving out. Uh, by the way, I won't be paying Correct. for the next three weeks. That's free. And then we got all these other weird terms in there. The new one I'm seeing a lot is the no tax yep. proration. So typically, typically buyers are entitled to a credit on the closing statement for the seller's share of the taxes. Now, now you're just seeing buyers say, "Don't worry about it. I'll pay the tax." So we're at the end of April, so you know, four months worth of real estate taxes the buyers are going to assume responsibility for, and they haven't even lived there yet. So that's a little crazy. So all right, what else well, you I will there? say that's a really good point on that taxes because in general, the seller has, in this market right now, has so much strength. It, it, it's never, it's the best time in real estate history to sell a home. Where do you go is another thing because they face that as a seller too. But in their situations, hmm. they are such a driver's seat as a seller. So you can drive the narrative of what the offers can be. It can actually dictate your terms to say, I want this offer. This is what I want. And that is the offer I know I'm going to take. And as you as buyers, you need to step into that. And I will take a look at that offer and accept it. Because if a buyer loves your house on a Friday, and they want to make an offer, they'll probably wait till Sunday to buy it. So they're gonna they're very interested in buying it. They're gonna have to give the terms of the seller to really, I say to buyers, you need to make such an attractive dangle of a carrot that the seller grabs it, bites it, and then signs it. And that can be that is a competitive 
You actually say carrot. I say you gotta put a carrot you out there. Use those yeah, words. I will actually physically go like this. Here's the carrot dangling. You want the seller to grab it and bite it. You have to look step aside. You have to make your offer look as attractive as it can. But on the listing side, you were just nice. sitting back and telling terms to say this is what we're going to accept. So it's a seller's market. It is not yes. a buyer's market right now. And that is if you live in anywhere in the country. What about story time, Josh? You got any good stories for everyone? What do we, what do you, give me a good story, a real story. I'm going to start because I just saw this, and I, it's unconfirmed, and I, you might have seen this on one of our closed Facebook real estate professionals page, so it's unsubstantiated, but did you hear about the prospective buyer who was standing in a driveway telling other buyers that were showing up with their brokers, hey, sorry, just let everybody know uh, the sellers accepted an offer this morning. And literally scaring buyers yes, away. I heard about this. And it turned out that it was just a prospective buyer that was trying to keep other competitive offers from coming in. I don't know if it's true or not, but in this market, I would believe it just based on the storyline. Uh, you know, it. Uh, it's. Have you? Have I you have seen heard that about Josh? it. I heard that the buyer was standing in the driveway, and the prospective buyers thought the, this particular buyer said it's under contract, so they thought, oh, okay, well, I'm just not going to yeah. see it, and then. One of the buyer's agents called the listing agent and said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, there's someone here telling there's accepted offers. So post that, I don't know what happened, but that word spread pretty quick that it did happen. My advice to you, if you are a buyer considering doing that, I think there is no better way to completely eliminate yourself from any possibility of getting that house than by doing that. I can't imagine that's going to go well with a seller if the seller finds out what you're doing to their chances of getting more you know, more offers. So I don't know if that's a true one or not, but it was out there. If you're a seller and this is going on, uh, contact your listing agent immediately and uh, tell them about it. I can't imagine that the sellers were actually home. Turned out that the house was vacant and um, buyers just shared information and found out that nothing was true. You got any good stories for us? Well, I think that I'll touch on this one because I feel like it's on our topic of multiple offers. Uh, we were contacted um, for a property, and the couple had built the house, lived, in, you know, built it, did everything over the next sixty years. He said, "I want to move out," and I said, "I went to the listing appointment, and they were just amazing people, just a great, great couple." And he said, I'd like to move across the country. I want to be by my daughter. And I said, well, okay, well, do you want to, how do you want to price the house? He said, I want to price it that I get a cash offer. I said, all right, well, let's maybe be a little aggressive and see what happens. Now, the best part of that story is that he, he said, I, I can't leave the home. I have to stay here in, during the showings. Not common. A lot of times the buyers don't want to see the seller there. He, he was an older gentleman? Yes, yes older that, gentleman. Okay. And he said, well, I just want to stay here. Well, in this particular situation, and I, I'm going to say preface by saying I don't advise this of sellers to do this, but he became the best salesman of the property because every buyer yeah. came through. He was the most charming man, and they sat there, and he just told everyone, and every one of those listing agents, I have never been contacted more to say, wow, this guy was amazing. So he says to me, I want to move across the country, and we're going to be – Uh, living near my daughter and everything stays in the property. And I have never had that happen where they said, I'm just going to walk out. And and, and when I say walk out, I'm talking about a few bags, a duffel bag. And that's what they did. And you're talking about the silverware and every, I'm talking the cups. I'm talking the the bags glue in the junk. I'm talking, they walked out of their life with four bags and said, have fun buyers. Well, it was, it was marketed that way. And it, it drew so much interest that buyer again of our topic, Ended up with 18 offers. 
and 18 offers we sat with them and went one by one. And he said, okay, I see all 18. Which one has a bank involved? I said, all those over there, those seven, those 16. Okay, slide those over. We can go through them, but I want to see the cash offers. End up with a cash offer. So that was a situation where I just said, wow, this guy's really just leaving. He's leaving everything on the table. But I think it's a good segue to say to sellers at the same time, you know, if you, if you employ uh, the, us as listing agent, you earn the business, is that that's part of it. We can, you know, take everything, take over, hand the keys over, and leave the pressure and the stress off it. And that was a perfect situation. That guy's awesome. I, I aspire to be that guy. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? It's yeah. kind of inspirational. The guy just yeah. decided, yep, I'm leaving. Yeah, everything. And he, he was, right, it was really like, it was a happy transaction. He was, it wasn't, he wasn't leaving because of you know nope. poor health or anything he was just going on to the next chapter of his life when we had the closing i was out there he op- i said can i see the bags and he said well they popped the door for you popped the back of the minivan there was all the bags and they were leaving right there driving to the west coast right after I'm closing out, out. i'm awesome. out yep that was it that's an extreme example but yeah that's a that's an extreme extreme good story but that's one thing we didn't hint on too with all these multiple offers is that the sellers can choose to leave things behind oh, yeah. big time um, buyers will buyers will take they'll take whatever they need to so we're seeing a lot of old appliances a lot of old pieces of furniture that nobody wants yes. and sellers are just leaving them and saying congratulations buyer it's it's now your responsibility and buyers are happy to accept that responsibility yeah it's just an inconvenience to get the property we just put a contract uh, on a hobby farm this week and it specifically said that all of the contents left in the barn will become the responsibility of the buyer. We're talking about a barn that's 85 years old or more that has been accumulating stuff ever since it was built. So, yeah, these buyers are going to be inheriting 85 to 100 years worth of stuff. I didn't see anything hazardous. There was no barrels or anything, but holy man, it's, it's a lot of stuff to take on. So, so, Josh, when a seller is looking at a lot of offers – and some are cash and some have contingencies. Does a seller take the highest price always? Or have you seen cash offers that are less money win and get accepted? Yes, I will say that most of the time, if there is a offer that a buyer has drafted that is higher with an inspection versus one that is lower without an inspection, the lower inspection will yeah. usually be chosen. Uh, because as a seller, everyone loves their home. Everyone thinks it's the greatest house. Everyone knows there's, they think there's no issues. But when you have an inspection and you get a 70-page report and they look at it and say, whose house is this? Well, it's your house. Oh, I don't live there. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's not my house. And that is a true story for my father-in-law. He, got, he sold his house. He got a report and his exact words were, Who's, whose house is this? They said, sir, Mr. Infield, it's yours. Uh, Southfield Drive. <laughs> I, I, I don't, that's not my house. So again, that report is going to bring up a lot of stuff that you're never aware of as a seller. So why would you want to face that as a seller? If you can have an offer that's a little low, less money and take a no inspection, as listing agents, we would advise you to go that route. Yeah. You know, we've been hearing that term since we were kids, cash is king. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that term more applicable than this real estate market. Cash is totally king in this market, and and sellers agree, and it's they usually agree that they're taking a sure thing. I mean, cash is cash, and contingencies are contingencies. 
All right, Josh. So we've covered a lot of potential situations with multiple offers. Anything we missed? One thing I will say for sure is the facing when a seller's looking at the financing or the what we call a pre-approval from a buyer. And a pre-approval letter is a, basically a buyer who's given the bank the very general overrun of their finances, their employment, their income, uh, their, maybe their debt. They do a, a credit score on them. And the bank says, okay, buyer, you're within this realm. We think you can will give you this amount of money. Well, now as a seller, you're looking at all these uh, multiple counters or multiple offer situation, and you say, okay, well, I like this this buyer. They're 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 a local bank, and then this one's might be higher, but I've never heard of that bank. Well, I can tell you from experience, and we can all tell lots and lots of stories that local lending is very very important. And I say this: if you can physically walk into a bank brick and mortar and you can talk to someone, your transaction is typically going to go way better. Because if you look at the national lenders, and they do a fine job, but if you take any national lender that we can all think of in our head right now, you tend to become file 1274829 and you run through the levels up and down the chain. When you walk into a local bank, you're, you know, John Smith. Hey, hey, how's that house going? It's a big factor. And I will tell you that sellers have rejected offers by not recognizing the bank, especially older sellers, they look at that bank and they go, I know that bank, or I've seen that bank, and I have never heard of that one over there. So those guys, I'm sorry, it, yeah. it's comfort level. That makes them feel comfortable. Yeah, I've never seen, never, I've never seen any buyer put themselves in a better position by going with a bigger bank. Local is very good. Um, not that there's anything wrong with them, but local is good. Shop local, borrow local. We've we have sellers that choose offers based on the lender all the time. That's a reality. You know, the lender you're going with is not a protected class. Doesn't matter if your lender you're going with has more deposit accounts or more customers or a bigger name. Uh, seller is allowed to to choose an offer based on a warm and fuzzy feeling they get. And I, I'd like to add, you know, I'll add one more thing to that, as I will say that so the experience advice, so. of the listing right, agent what else? and the experience of the buyer's agent is going to notice, hey, buyer, you do have a good local lender. This We're going to use this to help you try to get it, uh, versus maybe a brand new buyer and a brand new agent who just gets a pre-approval for some, you know, 123mortgage.com USA out of, you know, say, Arizona. Um, they think it's fine. Hey, it says I can get $300,000. But when you're up against the local bank, it's the experience of the agent makes a big difference too in presenting those offers, yeah. especially with the local knowledge. And that's a tip for all buyers out there. All right, that should wrap it up, Josh. You did great. We will uh, talk to you guys soon with episode three. Thanks always for listening. Find us on LinkedIn, find us on Facebook, and our website is sellingmilwaukee.com. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent for any nuances where you may live.